0: Distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the launch of the 2022 Africa Agriculture Trade Monitor, AATM. I am Laye Butake, Director of Communication and Outreach for Academia 2063, and it is an absolute pleasure and honor to be hosting you into this session as we unveil the fifth edition of the AATM. This report, which is published by Academia 2063, and the International Food Policy Research Institute is a leading continental publication and a key source of evidence on trends in African agricultural trade and policies. Today, we will hear from an exciting lineup of high level speakers who will debate the findings of the report. Please drop your comments and questions in the chat of whichever platform where you are watching us from. You can do that on ifpre.org, on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or on Twitter with the hashtag AskIfPRI. Without further ado, let's kick this off by inviting our first speaker. He is the Deputy Division Director, Africa Regional Office at the International Food Policy Research Institute. Welcome, Dr. Samuel Benin.
1: Thank you, Lai. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you are connecting from. Honorable speakers, distinguished panelists, ladies and gentlemen, all protocols observed. On behalf of my Director General, Yo Swenin, I would like to welcome you to this joint Academia 2063 and IFPRI launch of the fifth edition of the Africa Agriculture Trade Monitor, or AATM for short. The role of agricultural trade in ensuring Africa's food security and nutrition has never been questioned. Because of the series of events, including the locust infestation in Eastern Africa, the COVID-19 global pandemic, and Russia's invasion of Ukraine that is now entering its eighth month. On top of the already high agricultural and food prices due to climate change and other factors, the role of trade in increasing resilience in this volatile environment cannot be overemphasized. The 2022 AATM helps us to deepen our understanding of the relationship between African agricultural trade and food and nutrition security in several important ways, including, for example, analysis of the regional and continental trade in different value chains and their nutritional content the transformative impact of African continental free trade area on the region's economy, and the evolution of trade flows and policies in one of the regional economic communities. The results of the analysis confirm that there is a high opportunity cost associated with weak implementation of the African continental free, free trade area agreement, for example, and that it is crucial to take a more ambitious approach that fully liberalizes tariffs and reduces non-tariff measures. The researchers who have done a very fine job are here to present you the details, including their recommendations. Our invaluable partners too are here to give you their perspectives, practices, experiences, and lessons on the issue. It is why I am very pleased to welcome you again to be part of this joint Academia 2063 and IFPRI launch of the 2022 AATM and wish you a fruitful deliberation. Thank you and over to you, Lae.
0: Thank you very much, Dr. Benen, for those remarks. Moving on to our next speaker, we are honored to have the president of the Alliance for a Green Revolution in Africa. Agra. Please welcome Dr. Agnes Kalibata for her opening remarks. Dr. Kalibata.
2: Thank you, thank you so much moderator and thank you um, for welcoming us to this uh, conversation and meeting. I really want to appreciate the work done here by um, uh, academia and I want to appreciate the work done here by IFPRI and the partnership that uh, the two institutions bring on the table. Um, for all of us, for the work we are trying to do in the agricultural sector, and for the work that you all have done under this um, trade uh, work. <clears throat> the the work you've done in trade and agricultural transformation is extremely important, because I do believe that we are where we are as a continent talking about food crisis in Africa, not because we can't produce food, but because we have we still have challenges figuring out the trade question of food. We have perfected how to buy food, we still have to perfect how to engage farmers in producing and being part of supplying us food. So that part, the markets and trade part, remains, remains probably, from where I'm sitting, remains probably the number one challenge this continent has to address but also the number one opportunity. And that's why piggybacking on the um, African Free continental trade area that has just been launched and is now looking to be, to be active and, and to deliver is probably, um, has to be our number one priority. Ensuring that that trade environment works, it has to be our number one priority. <clears throat> So helping us understand what, is, what it is from country to country that is making it impossible for us to put our understanding of this big opportunity, our ability to translate it into jobs for Africa's youth, our ability to have the agricultural sector translate into reduced poverty for our continent, helping us understand why we have failed to grip that and bring it and take it and use it to bring it to bear for our continent is something that is extremely important. And I look forward to the conversation that we are going to have here today. As Agra, as you would know, um, we, we really have worked a lot on trying to understand the type of systems that help uh, would help deliver farmers from poverty. So we've worked on seed systems, we've been working on policy and state capability, we've been working on uh, you know, understanding how fertilizer systems can work better. But at the end of the day, when we engage the countries we are working in, nine out of 11 countries, you, and you ask them, what is it that you want us to do differently as you go into, we go into a new strategy? And you know that during the last uh, AGRF, we launched our new strategy. When you ask them, what is the number one thing you would like Agra to work on? Everybody tells you, if you can work on the question of markets and trade, you would have done a lot. So we are trying to understand and to figure out what does markets and trade mean in these countries? Where, what? what. We've specialized and focused on staple crops intentionally because uh, many people, some people call them orphan crops often in terms of science, often in terms of research, often in terms of business environment, but also often in terms of markets and trade. So I look forward to listening to you all and helping us and and really trying to get a sense of how we can make the system around markets and trade work for farmers. So I'm excited to be part of this conversation and I congratulate you uh, all for getting to this point. And again, I look forward to um, this meeting. So thank you again for having me and um, let's go into the conversation.
0: Thank you very much, Dr. Kalibata, for those remarks. And now it's it's my absolute honor, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, to welcome, um, for his opening remarks, Honorable Dr. Jean Chrysostom Gabitzinze, he is the Minister of Trade and Industry for Rwanda. Honorable Minister?:
3: Ah thank you. Good day. This is and guests, all protocol observed. It's my pleasure to be participating in this event, where we will be watching the safe edition of the Africa Agriculture Trade Monitor, and I'm delighted to welcome you all. The task of today's session will be to debate the findings and policy implication of the 20, 2022 AATM Leading Continental Report, which addresses issues of critical importance to Africa's agricultural trade resilience and economic development. These topics could not be more urgent, especially against the backdrop of recent shocks. World agricultural production chains and trade have been facing a series of events. That is the global food security and your paradise African efforts to create resilient food systems. The situation calls for policies that would leverage the potential for regional trade for stabilizing domestic food supply across the continent, hence reducing the dependence on international supply sources and exposure to external shocks. Climate change significantly affects global. And vegetable oil production every year, reducing market surprise while demand remains strong due to global population growth and urbanization. Faced with raising food prices, many governments have adopted export demands or export taxes on cereals in the cases of Russia, Moldova, Serbia, Hungary, Kazakhstan, palm oil in the case of Indonesia, or fertilizers in the case of China. Meanwhile, the global economy is still recovering from the COVID-19 pandemic, Russia's invasion of Ukraine has exhibited disease problem, pushing up the price of oil and affecting production and export of wheat, sunflower seeds, and oil, corn, and barley from Ukraine, Russia, and Belarus. The combination of the shocks affects agriculture, trade, and the food security throughout Africa, especially in countries that are highly dependent on food imports. The role of trade indicating resilience in this volatile environment is crucial, and its FIFA ATM shares the light on current patterns and trends in intra African trade and examines the, possi- the potentially transformative impact of the African continental free trade area on the continent's economies. In spite of this volatility, one thing is clear. There's the strengthening of trade links between African countries thanks to the establishment of the African content of free trade area may make it possible to decrease the risk of food insecurity in the long term, brought the diversification of supply sources and increase ease of access for all farmers to a large market. Furthermore, there is a need for countries to implement trade facilitation, disputes and the free movement agreements. We must work to harmonize regional economic community frameworks and establish a coherent strategy for infrastructure development. Let us leverage, on, or, or, let us leverage the african Continental free trade area, which provides a framework for the development and strengthening of integration and cooperation efforts of African countries by promoting integration of production and infrastructure, along with manifest cooperation between the various African regions' bodies. I would like to congratulate Academia 2063 and the International Food Policy Research Institute for yet another edition of this rich report, which should serve as evidence-based guide for policymakers across The continent. I am confident that the quality of our deliberations today will make good fodder for policy actors and enrich our understanding of Africa's agriculture trade performance, challenges, and opportunities. I wish I, I, I wish us all a fruitful dialogue and exchange at these sessions. Thank you so
2: much.
0: Thank you so much, Honorable Minister Sinze. We are so honored uh, by your presence. Thank you for honoring our invitation. Thank you to all our opening remarks speakers, Dr. Kalibata, Dr. Benen. thank you so much. And now let us move on to the thrusts of this session. What are the key findings of the 2022 Africa Agriculture Trade Monitor? What are the policy implications of this report? To shed light and to answer these questions, it is my pleasure to welcome the Executive Chairperson of Academia Twenty Sixty Three, Dr. Usman Badian.
4: Thank you very much, Lae, and um, um, good day, good morning, afternoon to everybody, uh, Your Excellency and others are around the table here, uh, Agnes, uh, my sister Famagra, Thank you very much for joining us. I'll be presenting the highlights of the 2020 Africa Trade Monitor. Um, I'm the presenter, the editors leading this work and who this year, again, have really produced an excellent support, Antoine Boué from IFPRI, Sunday Ojo from Academia2063, and Shahid Zaki from the Cairo University and AgoraDev. We can go to the next slide. Um, The um, academia, the uh, afric Africa Trade Monitor is published jointly by the International for Policy Research Institute, IFPRI. It is supported financially uh, by USCID and Germany's BMZ. Uh, A team of co-editors by Academia2063, presented those of these uh, reports. Uh, it is has Academia 26's communications team, uh, and it is one of the flagships of Academia 26's ResAx and AgriDev programs. Next slide. So the content uh, of the 2022 uh, ATM, it looks at uh, the current global food market crisis and its relationship with African countries. It looks at Africa's participation in global agricultural value chains, the road-lazed therein. Then it turns the intra-African trade in agriculture. It looks at trade um, in the official uh, bottle chains of cocoa, coffee, and tea. Every edition looks at specific value chains. And it also looks a little bit in depth uh, into the African content trade area, into the ambitions and implementation. Next slide. In all of these areas, we have our conventional wisdom, but What the report does is to go beyond the surface uh, and give us a little bit more of the evidence. Uh, I'll be brief in my presentation and just highlight a few excerpts from a few chapters. Uh, when it comes to the um, Ukraine crisis, um, I think Minister uh, uh, from Rwanda referred to it, the rising global crisis were already starting before, uh, due to climatic events, export bans, and taxes and other policies, also put to buy fuels which all are pushing prices up, so the uh, crisis just made uh, a difficult situation worse. In terms of Africa's contribution to global value chains, it is small but it's growing at a significant pace. You'll see it when I show the graphs on that. Uh, in terms of inter-African trade, Africa exports, uh, inter- I'm sorry, still global participation. Africa does export intermediate goods that are used in third-party countries to produce finished products, for example, to the EU, where Africa's share of intermediate product in EU's final product can be up to 40% of its gross exports. Uh, so it is still Africa, still importing relatively little intermediate goods to process into high-value products, and that's really where the money is. We are on track to doing that, but there's a lot of room to go there and you'll see it. So we import intermediate goods for a little bit of value addition, export a lot of intermediate goods to others and a lot of value and keep the goodies. And the factors behind that, uh, of course, uh, uh, weak manufacturing base and uh, the abundance of natural resources such as land and mines, And that's Africa to provide these raw materials. Next slide, please. And here in terms of inter-African trade, COVID, the COVID crisis really illustrated what we need to do as we go into the African funding free trade area. Africa's inter-trade declined significantly across economic uh, uh, regions, except the East African community. Why? Because of the trade facilitations and all the efforts that are being made in this community to increase trade. So it did survive these large shocks. So that is something that we need to keep our minds on. Over the last two decades, intra-African agricultural export have grown rapidly, in particular for processed products. The share of intra-African trade, however, is much higher in the food sectors in terms of calories, fats, and proteins than in terms of value. Uh, Although going forward again for the AFCFTA, Africa still uh, faces high escalating tariffs and non-tariff measures internally, not externally, internally, and that will need to be taken care of as we move forward. Next slide, please. In terms of the AFCFTA itself, uh, most tariffs are supposed to be eliminated, but they are clauses on census and excluded products, which may create loopholes and delay implementation. If you just remember the, the, the thing I talked about into the high tariffs and non tariff barriers, uh, so these loopholes might delay the benefits from the FCFTA. Africa still faces significant non tariff uh, measures uh, that will have to be addressed. And it is clear from the in this chapter that it's just not the tariffs, but the non tariff measures. That needs to be dealt with because the impact and contribution far outweighs the impact and contribution from tariff uh, eliminations. Next slide. I'll be now showing you a few um, graphs and tables uh, from the report. This one is showing, but was really driving global prices already before the the war. Uh, the um, uh, uh, export restrictions, in particular in China, or high gas prices in the EU, which pushed uh, fertilizer prices. Uh, and on top of that, the Russian invasion, they would drive us already behind higher food prices. If the world was to stop, the world is m- most likely going to see higher prices, and therefore we need to uh, equip ourselves uh, accordingly. Next slide. And here we're looking at m- African countries that are the most exposed, and you know them in particular, this is North African countries exposed most of Syrians, but also countries like Nigeria, uh, to, uh, Kenya, and Kudibar as well. Next slide. Here we look at Africa's participation in the global value chains, the yellow part of the bars are how much of foreign intermediate goods Africa imports to add value and exports, the orange shows you how much of intermediate goods Africa exports to others to add value, so those orange bars is really where we need to grow into to create value and trade wealth. Uh, it is still high, 85% of what we produce in terms of intermediate goods. And that's where I think we have an opportunity to boost uh, manufacturing and add value. Next slide. You will see here uh, that across the different sectors, it is in textile, the blue part, where Africa imports intermediate goods, machinery, chemicals, and others at value. And the least performing is agriculture, where you primarily, uh, uh, export uh, the orange part uh, uh, fraction of our value addition to others that value. So we need to reclaim that. Next slide. And here's intra-African trade. You look to the right, uh, to the left, is the intra-African trade in terms of value, which stagnated and peaked in 2013. And next to it, you look at intra-African trade by nutrient, calorie, protein, and in fact, so we're exporting more and expanding trade in food products, and we're exporting more in higher-value non-food products. So that's the dynamics that's happening currently in Africa's current trade. Next slide. And here, Africa is exporting more and more of processing semi- and processed goods. Uh, the um, share is now about 73 uh, percent, Africa average, driven primarily by ECOWAS. And to a lesser extent by commerce. So the processing sector is driving a trade within Africa and externally. Next slide. Uh, and here we all complain about tariff escalation, high tariffs. African intra-trade is not just facing high tariffs, but also tariff escalation. You look at the example of cocoa: from 3.2 if it's unprocessed to double that when it's processed, and again almost double that again when it's semi- fully processed. So that kind of tax acceleration will have to go away. Uh, Otherwise, uh, Africa is going to be in the same situation of producing uh, raw materials for the rest of the world. Intra-trade need to take that away. Thank you. Next slide. And you also see that African countries are subjecting each other to the same non-tariff measures similar to what you're observing outside of Africa. Ghana and Mali's uh, 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 NTM-owned, non-tariff measures, SPS is here, on cocoa are similar to what Colombia, China, Hong Kong, and South Asia region are applying here. So that too is what Africa needs to deal with in order to further facilitate intra-African trade. So it's not just others doing it to us, we're doing it within the continent, and this way SCFT has to really pay a lot of attention. Next slide. And uh, you look at here, what is really holding African trade down is not just those high tariff or the non-tariff measures uh, that are like SPS, but look at the processing time of processing imports and exports in terms of uh, time and cost equivalents. Up to 100 hours to 60 hours to process imports and exports uh, in Africa compared to the orange and yellow bars in are other regions, or the equivalent cost up to $700 or $200 at minimum just border compliance and documentary compliance across African ports and airports. Again, another big job for the ACFTA to, to address. So I think this will be the next slide. Go to the next one. Um, these were uh, the just highlights of some of these chapters. This is next excellent report. There's a lot of in-depth looking under the surface of what is there. And I do wish you all an excellent reading. And again, congratulations to Antoine, Ojo, and Zahir for a great report. And thank you to all of you, bye-bye.
0: Thank you very much, Dr. Badian. Your your presentation has set the stage for what I am confident will be an exciting and insightful conversation with the three editors of the 2022 Africa Agriculture Trade Monitor. But before we get into the panel, let's take a look at some highlights from the 2022 AATM video. On your screen start. did
5: you know the africa agriculture trade monitor is the leading continental publication and a key source of evidence on trends in african agricultural trade and policies published by academia 2063 and the international food policy research institute the annual flagship report uses high quality data analysis to review africa's progress in trade development with new analysis on critical topics for trade and africa's agri-food sector Designed to strengthen evidence-based policy making in agricultural trade in support of the Comprehensive Africa Agricultural Development Program, the four editions of the AATM since 2018 have covered the impact of COVID-19 on African agricultural trade, the role of informal cross-border flows in Africa's trade, regional trade integration and inter-African trade, and the status and trends and competitiveness of african countries in global and intra-african agricultural markets we are excited to launch the fifth edition of the africa agriculture trade monitor the 2022 aatm sharpens our understanding of african agricultural trade by analyzing regional and continental trade in agriculture and select value chains with analysis of nutritional content of african trade The potentially transformative impact of the african continental free trade area on the region's economies and the evolution intra and extra regional trade flows and trade policy of the economic community of central africa states the report models the impacts on trade growth and welfare of several potential approaches to the afcfta implementation and analyzes trends and policy issues in value chains for stimulants cocoa coffee and tea And there's more! With special thanks to the editors, contributors and the production team, we invite you to explore this latest edition of the Africa Agriculture Trade Monitor to access improved trade statistics and indicators for deeper insights into Africa's agricultural trade. Click on the DOI and start reading today. We can't wait to show you the rest!
0: And now, let me welcome the moderator of the panel session, Dr. Heike Koffler, Project Lead, Agricultural Trade, Agribusiness with
6: GIZ. Over to you, Madam Moderator. Thank you so much, Dr. Butake. And I would like to welcome again everyone attending this seminar and the launch of the 22. AATM. Now that we've heard uh, the highlights and the main messages, we would want to dive a bit deeper into uh, some of the contents that have already been presented by Dr. Badjane. And we will do that um, by inviting the three mentioned editors of this year's report, and I will introduce them in a segment. And this will be followed um, by some interventions from three invited discussions. And that, again, will then be followed by an open Q&A, uh, inviting all of you. So this is just as a reminder that we would like to hear from you. Um, you t- please participate in our Q&A session. Um, and please submit your questions on ifpre.org on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or using the hashtag #AskIfpri on Twitter. So this, uh, please, please let us hear from you. And um, with those few, few remarks, I will now move to the editors' panel, and I would like to invite for the first intervention, Dr. Sunday Pierre orju He's the deputy director, knowledge systems with Academia. Um, the floor is yours. Thank you. So uh,
7: yes, I, I'm expecting your question. I think you.
6: Some okay. So, it, okay, fine. Um, I think particularly from your side, we wanted to hear um, a comment on the rapid rise of processed goods uh, and food. Um, how does that affect in the intra-African trade, the increase in trade in processed foods?
7: Thank you. <coughs> yes. Uh, this may not be uh, uh, visible, physically visible, but the data reflects uh, a, a, a process, an ongoing process of uh, uh, manufacturing of food products. Uh, the data uh, show that uh, despite uh, what we think, uh, uh, there, is, there are some technologies that are used to process agricultural uh, uh, products, for example, we can, we, we noted in chapter uh, three that uh, uh, about uh, two decades ago, uh, 63% of intra-African export of agricultural products were either fully processed or semi-processed products. Uh, currently, uh, over the, the, the Last uh, uh, three years, the share amounted, uh, the share increased from 63% to 72%. So only uh, 28% of uh, agricultural pro- products traded within Africa are still unprocessed now. And the chapter also uh, shows some regional differences. Uh, in terms of processing of agricultural products. Uh, to illustrate, uh, we noted that uh, 42% of ECOWAS intra-African export received some level of processing in 2003, 2005, but that share amounted now to 77%. The, the pace is a bit uh, slower in other regions, and the reason is that uh, uh, those regions had atta- attained a higher level of processing already. I think it's become a bit uh, difficult to, to continue growing when you are already at a, 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 a high level. For example, you see amo uh, the, uh, the Arab, Magh- Ma- uh, the Arab uh, Maghreb Union Uh, was processing uh, up to 89% of intra-African exports. And currently, it's about to 68%, which is still uh, a a good uh, process. And so, yes, uh, processing is in in progress. And uh, this is triggered by uh, higher incomes Uh, population growth and uh, rapid urbanization. So, uh, yes, those uh, processing firms may not be seen, but the data reflects that there is a good process there. Back to you.
6: Thank you so much. Um, May I just um, stay here for, for a second? Because I think this is very interesting. Um do you have a particular explanation why the ECOWAS region was um so pro- produces such a strong growth in the trade of processed food compared to other regions
7: Yeah yeah I, I think uh, what is to be explained uh is uh, probably why the share of uh ECOWAS uh uh a couple of decades ago was so uh, so uh, so little at 42 percent while the other why the other regions are at least at 70 percent so uh, uh, I think that the reason uh, maybe uh, related to as I said the, the, the trends we are seeing in terms of income growth, uh, and urbanization. It is a region where urbanization and uh, change in lifestyles, change in um, uh, habit, consumption habits are going very fast. So there, uh, uh, a demand has has been uh, noticed. And even though uh, uh, African exporters may be uh, not uh, uh, so competitive outside Africa they can save the opportunity uh, to, to, to fill in the new demand that are uh, coming up within the continent. And food processing is a, a, a very uh, uh, promising market, and West Africa is filling into that. Back to you.
6: All right, thank you. Thank you very much for for these clarification. I think that uh, uh, um, gives a bit more uh, feel to it. I would like to ask you one one last question before moving, uh, before moving on. Um, coming back to the nature of processed foods, um, we know that these are relatively high in calories, um, fat, sugar, other nutrients. That are associated with rather the risks of non-communicable diseases and, and and rather nutritional risks. Is this being reflected in the trade flows you've analysed? And and if so, what what steps can or should policymakers take to mitigate these nutritional risks and dietary issues uh, associated with the increase in consumption of processed food?
7: Thank you. Uh... Yes. In fact, uh, this report uh, has made uh, a, a good uh, uh, analysis in terms of uh, uh, trade in, uh, in nutrients. We used to uh, conduct the analysis in terms of gross value. But here, we consider uh, the, the trade in nutritional contents uh, terms and the results are very uh, uh, informative in terms of uh, uh, what could, how trade could contribute to uh, uh, food security uh, in, in Africa. Uh, you know, in uh, value terms, uh, intra-Africa trade uh, represents something like 19 to 21% of uh, African trade. But when you express African trade in terms of uh, nutrient content, the share is uh, uh, larger. For example, you you can see that up to 39% of all traded calories are traded within uh, the continent, and 28% of all traded fats, and uh, 37% of traded proteins. regard the facts, this is where there is a bit concern. So uh, if you consider these shares at the regional level, the content in facts of uh, a region state within Africa may be as high as uh, 76% uh, for uh, uh, at the, at the at Africa level, but, uh, at the regional level, it is up to 85% in ECAS. Uh, uh, in it is even up to 98% in the Arab Maghreb Union. So this uh, level of fat content is a concern and uh, it is important to uh, consider uh, more research. Uh, to see how uh, this concern uh, maybe uh, is true or not, but in case this is uh, this becomes uh, a true concern, uh, there, there there are some steps that should be taken to mitigate the risk uh, associated, the health risk that could be associated. Uh, those steps could include uh, uh, developing some norms and standards about nutrient contents during uh, processing. Back to you.
6: Thank you so much um, for for particularly illustrating where these uh, uh, details lie. And I also um, uh, learned a lot here, particularly concerning the, the issue about the fat and sugar contents. So I think a lot of um, uh, accompanying research would be nice, but also, uh, maybe alongside them uh, research and also some some advice in the direction the steps you've mentioned because we know how how important uh, uh, these nutritional risks are and, and as we all know we've moved from from a double burden to a triple burden in a number of countries already so thanks thanks very much um dr ojo for for your remarks and and um the deep, deep, deeper dive on some of the matters i would like to move on to our second editor to Dr. Antoine Boué, the senior research fellow at IFPRI and um, I would like to invite him to talk a bit about the AFCFTA which uh, also marks one of the AFCFTA implementation which marks one of the chapters of this year's report and I would like to hear from you a bit more about what do you think are the adequate um, steps to monitor progress and the impact of AFCFTA implementation uh, in order to also see is it on track, what needs to be corrected while we go along, even though the process might take, take some time. But how can we monitor the progress and um, what do you see in terms of intra-African trade, uh, agriculture trade, the priorities for other African institutions, for country governments, for technical and development partners, and who should, should be doing what and looking for what.
8: Yeah, thank you very much, Heike, for, for this question. Um, so the AFCFTA, which is the ab- uh, abbreviations for the African Continental Free Trade Area. So uh, it would be considered as successful, of course, if it has a, a significant impact on intra-African trade. Um, and so here, we need the precise uh, and right uh, measurement of intra-African trade. Uh, And of course, as everybody knows right now, I think uh, trade is not well measured, cross-border trade is not well measured in Africa. Um, So for example, if you look at a recent uh, study from the Economic Commission from Africa, uh, it concludes that uh, informal trade is estimated to be between seven and 16% of official trade. Um, But if you look at trade between neighboring countries, informal trade represents between 30 and 72% of formal trade. So it means that um, informal trade, unrecorded trade, is a a prominent phenomenon in Africa. Uh, So the official data are not good. Um, But what happens right now is that since 2005, um uh, many initiatives have emerged in Africa to improve the measurement of informal trade uh, of trade uh, and and to to uh, to measure informal trade. Uh, and I would like to say that not only does this initiative exists, but um, official uh, uh, institutes try to collect this data, and to include this measurement in official database to improve the official measurement of uh, international uh, data trade in, in Africa. So, I, I could uh, give you um, two examples of that. Uh, first, in West Africa, we have a, a project uh, with IFPRI, but also with SILS, which is the Comité Interétatique de Lutte Contre la Sécheresse au Sahel. Uh, which is an institute located in uh, different countries, but especially in Ouagadougou in Burkina Faso. And uh, with this project, we have enumerators that collect data on informal trade. And these data are transmitted now to National Statistical Institute of the region and of the 15 uh, countries of ECOWAS. And so it means that uh, official data will include uh, informal trade Uh, what was considered as unrecorded trade until now. And so there is a a substantial improvement in the measurement of of, uh, trade between uh, West African countries right now. Um, Another example is in Uganda. Uh, The Bank of Uganda has funded uh, an initiative uh, implemented by uh, the Uganda Bureau of Statistics to collect data on formal and informal trade. Uh, and uh, these data are included in the official now of uh, in the official uh, data on on international trade, so these efforts have to be continued and amplified, and this is what happens with the an initiative by United uh, Economic Commission for Africa, which has initiated the coordinations of all these activities. Uh, and they and they try to, uh, of course, harmonize the, the process of uh, measuring informal trade and inclusions in official data. It takes times, but I'm relatively optimistic about uh, this process. So it means that African institutions, country governments, technical and development partners will have access more and more to better data on intra-African trade and this should help them to uh, adequately measuring and monitoring the progress in the implementations of the AFCFTA back to you
6: thank you very much uh, antoine because um, i think it's 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 nice to hear that that there's an area where there's been some progress and, and you've mentioned here that the, there's been over the last 15 or so years an improvement in accounting for this Uh, rather informal uh, cross-border trade and to take it better into account. Now, the the examples that you've mentioned on this type of analysis and monitoring, um, coming back to the question, who should step up these efforts and research? Whose responsibility is it? Is it with regional economic communities or is it at continental level? Uh, Could you shed some light on that? Uh,
8: I guess um, international institutions are, are very important. In in doing that. Uh, the United Economic Commission for Africa is uh, working with the Afrexim Bank uh, and the African uh, Development Bank in order to, to finance these efforts of coordination. So it means that um, I hope that the, Unici- uh, the this initiative will include all the partners from West Africa, from Uh, uh, Central Africa, and in particular, uh, the Uganda Bureau of Statistics, the the Bank of Uganda, but also in Rwanda, the Bank of Rwanda, and and the National Statistical Institute of Rwanda, but there are also efforts coming from FUSENET and and in Southern Africa. Uh, So uh, the, the problems is, I think that we need an initiative at the continental level uh, and I think it should come from the African Development Bank, the United Nations Economic Commission from Africa and the African Bank.
6: Thank you very much. Um, we, I think we, we um, um, note this down and um, approach the right people on that. Maybe Usman can can do that and his uh, and his team. Um, Antoine, one, one last question for you, um, moving to the topic also um, uh, that Usman has presented and that is the participation in global value chains of African um, trading countries. We've seen and, and Usman has presented to us that um, African countries' participation in global value chains is rather positioned upstream and in some cases have even moved uh, down upstream, so to say. Um, what do you think, what steps should African policymakers take to upgrade their position, the position of their country in global agricultural value chains?
8: Yeah, thank you. This is a, a very important issue. Um, I, I would like to um, uh, underline the fact that the report finds that African countries' participations in uh, agricultural global value chains is positioned upstream. Um, uh, This result is included in Chapter 2 of the report. It has been uh, completed by uh, Mariam Diallo and Sunday Pierre Ojo, and it's a quite innovative contribution to the literature. So this is really important. Um, So it means that Africa exports mostly unprocessed products to other regions, which transform these products and exports uh, semi-processed or processed products to other regions. Uh, So the the positions of Africa, uh, this is what economists call uh, uh, an upstream uh, position. Um, So if if we want to change that and if we want to upgrade uh, the value added content of uh, African exports, I think that uh, what is important is first that the cost of trading between African countries must be uh, uh, reduced uh, as much as possible. Uh, And so it means that import tariff on unprocessed and semi-processed goods have to be removed between African countries. So this is a point that was mentioned by uh, Usman a few minutes ago. This is really important in order to uh, reduce the cost of trading and also non-tariff measure and, and also Uh, efficiency of custom procedures has to be uh, improved, and and second, uh, Africa has a weak manufacturing base, so it means that the continent uh, uh, lies, this is an explanation of why the continent lies upstream in global value chains, Um, and to improve the manufacturing base in Africa, Uh, um, Access to capital has to be improved, Uh, foreign direct investment has to be attracted, and of course the business climate has to be improved. Um, Back to you.
6: Thank you so much, Antoine, um, for also reminding us on on the importance of value addition in in Africa, not only um, agriculture production, but also the processing and and the trade in processed and semi-processed goods. Great, Um, let us move to our third editor. Um, Let me invite uh, Professor Shahi Saki, who's Professor of Economics at the Cairo University, and I would like um, to dwell with you a bit more on the real hardcore trade matters of the tariff and the non-tariff barriers that has also that have also been mentioned by Usman in his presentation, which I think also plays quite a role, of course, in this uh, trade report and is, is a major issue the AFCFTA has has to deal with. So my question is that among all the other challenges we've already also uh, um, touched upon, the tariff and non-tariff measures that prevent African countries from moving up in the value chain um, and to export these more processed uh, products out of the continent um, include some of the so-called stimulant crops which um, have their own chapter this year in the AATM Um, that is chapter uh, 5 and it's uh, about the key cash crops coffee and tea Uh, for example. And the question is, can you tell us more about the prevalence and the impact of trade barriers for for these particular stimulant crops? Uh,
9: Thank you, Professor Hoffler, for the introduction, and uh, I'm very happy to present um, uh, part of uh, the trade policy dimensions that affect the main crops that we're addressing in this uh, AATM edition. So in general, uh, just to give a background, in general, in every uh, AATM edition, we try to examine the different value chains of different uh, agricultural products. So as you mentioned, this year, we're focusing in chapter four on uh, uh, three uh, stimulants, which are cocoa, uh, coffee, and tea. And actually, uh, the main finding that uh, was very clear in, uh, for the three products is that globally, uh, most of the African countries are trading more in unprocessed goods, as it was highlighted, highlighted before uh, by the uh, other editors Antoine and Sunday, uh, much more than processed goods. And among the reasons that can explain uh, such a performance, uh, we can divide them into uh, tariff barriers and non-tariff barriers. And when when it comes to tariff barriers, we can see that the problem of tariff escalation is very clear, which means that tariff that is imposed on uh, processed food, uh, sorry, processed agricultural products is higher than uh, the one that is imposed on unprocessed or semi-processed products. And this clearly hinders uh, exports of African countries to different uh, markets, whether they are African countries or non-African countries, and especially non-African countries. That's uh, when it comes to uh, tariffs. And interestingly, also, what we found is that still, despite the presence of different re- regional economic communities in Africa, intra-African tariff is uh, in several cases high, which means that we still have some tariffs that are imposed on these uh, stimulants at, and that hinder intra-African uh, trade. Uh, when it comes to non-tariff measures, and it's much more complicated issue because non-tariff measures might be justified for health reasons for instance uh, we found that uh, clearly most of these products are subject to several technical barriers to trade and sanitary and phytosanitary measures that are related to health uh, or to the protection of uh, uh, the uh, the environment the health of animals of individuals and so on and uh, also, an important finding was that n- not only the number of measures is high, but also their protectionist effect is high. And uh, what is highlighted in Chapter 4 is that the ad, val- the ad valorem equivalent or the tariff equivalent of such barriers, which means that when we try to quantify such measures that are in general some standards or norms related to uh, the products, when we convert such Norms and standards into uh, a quantifiable number, which is the tariff equivalent, we find that is it's relatively uh, high. So, for instance, just to give you uh, some figures uh, regarding that, if we look at uh, SPS and TBT, uh, so san- sanitary and phytosanitary and technical barriers to trade in African countries, we can see that it's t- it's, it can reach sometimes 111% in the case of uh, Ghana, for instance, uh, for cocoa. It can reach uh, 90% in Zimbabwe, and so on. And this clearly affects uh, the uh, trade in uh, such products. So, among the policy recommendations that I end, and I will end with this point, that clearly a a lot of effort uh, needs to be exerted in terms of uh, addressing non-tariff measures, either uh, through improving the quality of goods by uh, mutual recognition of standards and norms, by uh, providing uh, African producers with a more or, or with a stronger technical assistance in order to improve the quality of such a products, in order to comply with different non-tariff measures imposed by their trade partners. Thank you. Over to you.
6: Thank you so much, uh, Professor Zaki. Um, this, this tariff escalation is really, uh, um, with, with the example from Ghana um, that, that you illustrated, I think it's really uh, something that needs to be addressed uh, by the AFCFTA. And who else? Now, so, just as a follow up question, who do you think should start working on preventing these tariff escalations right away?
9: so uh, this is an excellent question actually and uh, an important finding of uh, chapter five that was trying to examine the effect of afcfta on african countries was that if we do not ab- adopt an ambitious approach to uh to, in- to-, to implement the african continental free trade agreement its benefits will be very limited and by an ambitious implementation we mean that the african continental free trade agreement has to address Uh, the issue of non-tariff measures. Uh, So clearly uh, at the continental level, the African-Continental Free Trade Agreement might be uh, a very good framework to address that. Uh, But I think that most of the interventions have to be at uh, three levels. So the first level is at the level of small farmers uh, because uh, several farmers, they they might be able to produce but not able to export because of uh, such problems related to, uh, to what extent they comply with the rules. So I think that a significant part of the effort has to be deployed at the level of small farmers. And at uh, uh, I would say a, a higher level at the level of small and medium uh, enterprises that might be operating in uh, the sector of uh, processed product. Uh, And we know to what extent small and medium enterprises are very important in in Africa, and to what extent they generate employment, and even from a gender perspective, to what extent they are intensive in women. So I think a a large part of the interventions have to be at the level also of SMEs. And uh, the third uh, type of intervention, I think, uh, and as it was highlighted before by my colleagues as well, Uh, There is an important role for international donors in this regard, because I don't think that it's an issue of a lack of finance for such producers in order to comply with the standards, but more uh, a know-how or uh, a technique of production that needs to be uh, improved. So I think there is also room for uh, some international donors in order to make the uh, the AFCFTA more effective in its implementation.
6: Thank you so much for for this clarification on on whose job it is. Um, so let's let's find uh, maybe in the in in the next uh, couple of weeks and months the champions to continue the discussion and the work on that. Um, last question to you. Um, despite the um, the NTBs, the non-tariff barriers um, and the tariff barriers we've already dwelt on, um, what other challenges and opportunities do you see in developing um, well-performing regional value chains for the stimulant crops, cocoa, tea, coffee, within Africa.
9: So, uh, talking about opportunities, I think that uh, in the uh, in the same chapter of the AATM chapter four, uh, we try to uh, to find to what extent African countries are uh, under trading or they are over trading those stimulants either with African countries or with non-African countries and it was very clear that in the three products cocoa tea and coffee uh, most of the African countries are under trading and by under trading uh, I mean that uh, compared to their potential to their export potential compared to the demand they are facing abroad they are performing uh, lower than what is expected So that's why this means that there is still room to export more, either for non-African countries or for African countries. Uh, So this means that there is, I mean, a a big opportunity that can be seized. And I think, again, with the framework of the Fcfta, this will help take advantage of this, uh, I would say, this uh, unused uh, potential of African countries. But clearly, as it was hi- highlighted uh, by Antoine uh, in the, um, uh, I mean, uh, when he was uh, talking about what hinders in general uh, the AFC, FTA, I think in, our, uh, in chapter four, we identify at the domestic level, in addition to uh, tariff escalation and non-tariff measures that I was talking about, we identify also two key issues that uh, prevent African countries from taking advantage of their potential and from increasing uh, their trade either with non-African countries or within Africa, which are, on the one hand, the quality of infrastructure, because it's clear that in order to develop regional value chains, we need a good infrastructure. And I think here there is an important role for the major donors that might intervene in terms of infrastructure, like the European Investment Bank, like the World Bank, and so on. Uh, and this will clearly improve African connectivity, which might help increase intra-African uh, regional value chains and consequently intra-African uh, trade in such uh, products. And the second uh, issue also that we identified in the uh, in chapter four is the quality of domestic institutions, because clearly uh, the more complex or the more sophisticated. The products, which means that the more uh, they become processed, the more they will be sensitive to the quality of of economic institutions. And by economic institutions, I mean uh, uh, the uh, to what extent contracts are enforced, to what extent uh, the uh, rule of law is prevailing, and so on. And th- the better the quality of institutions the more the, uh, likely such countries can specialize in uh, higher value added products, which means that they can be more specialized in processed products. And this, this, I think at the domestic level, the two main issues that have to be taken into consideration in order to increase first intra-African trade in these products and consequently, uh, their trade even with non-African countries. Thank you, Haik.
6: Thank. Thank you so much um, for also uh, pointing out the important role of domestic institutions and authorities here. And I think despite the rather um, big um, the the kind of political and economic framework conditions within countries, um, that might also hold true for institutions such as Bureau of Standards and and others who also play a role in facilitating orderly trade um, and, and ensuring quality control. Thank you so very much to you, um, Professor Saki, and also to Dr. Antoine Boué and to Dr. Sunday Ocho, So the three main editors um, who've produced uh, the report for your very um, insightful additional remarks to the high, uh, additional to the highlights that we've already heard from Usman Badjana and from. The the movie we'd seen. We would like now to open up the discussion a bit um, and ask two discussants uh, who come from outside institutions um, to also give their view and perspective on some of the issues we've talked about. So we'll come to stimulant crops um, with a view from the private sector in a minute, but I would like to. remind all of us um, again that we want to hear from you do not hesitate to put your questions also already in the chat and um, please submit them you can also uh, write on again if pre Facebook LinkedIn and ask if pre on Twitter so please keep communicating and now I would like to um, Invite Ms. Christiane Wolf. She's a counselor at WTO. And um, we want to, we're, we're particularly excited to have you today with us to talk about a bit the um, intakes of Chapter 5 uh, from uh, the AATM, which deals again with the AFCFTA implementation. And uh, as we already touched upon, the chapter finds that reducing the trade-impeding impacts of non-tariff measures will be key. Yeah, we've already discussed that a bit, also with the editors, um, and it will be key to the, to the general success in implementing um, AFCFTA. What do you see as the potential for reducing and eliminating even better the, the unnecessary NTMs in Africa, um, and and who should be doing what to get there.
10: Um, thank you, Heike, for this question, and um, it's a pleasure to be here. Yes, I was struck, um, Usman Badian explained that the impact of non-tariff measure elimination outweighs the potential impact of um, tariff elimination in, the, in this study. Um, and um, I saw there's quite a bit of a focus on eliminating the unnecessary non-tariff measures, which is, of course, um, the obvious place to start. Um, I saw an interesting novel mechanism, the reporting, monitoring, and eliminating mechanism, but all of this still seems to be focusing on the elimination of unnecessary NTMs. Um, I was thinking that a lot of the or especially the sanitary and phytosanitary and the um, other technical regulations that are in place are often necessary to achieve policy objectives, including health protection, environmental protection, product quality, and so on. They can still act as trade barriers at the same time, though, while they try to achieve legitimate policy objectives. So I think the 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 key focus is on trying to reduce the trade impact to identify the unnecessary trade impact and to try to tackle that, whether it's by eliminating unnecessary measures completely or by looking at the existing necessary measures and seeing where do they go beyond what is necessary in terms of their impact on trade. Um, And I think there are basically three ways you can do about that, and they're not mutually exclusive at all. One is that to focus on the design of the regulation of the regulations. For example, whether it's a food safety regulation, a animal health requirement, whether it's a quality regulation and an environmental regulation, they can have the best intentions in the world. They can have um, the best objectives in the world, but they can also have a lot of unintended consequences. I think, as we all know. So, looking at good regulatory practices, you know. Are regulations regularly being reviewed to see if they're still necessary? If What are their unintended consequences on trade and on other on, in other areas? And then also looking at, are they unnecessarily different? Is there something that can be done to harmonize them to lower trade costs, both for intra-African trade and for trade with the rest of the world? I think another area where one can 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 attack, so to speak, where one can start is to look at the way that the regulations are enforced. So it's not the design of the regulations, but usually you will have, for example, a food safety requirement, and then it needs to be enforced in some way, whether it's through control procedures, inspection, testing, approval procedures, some type of conformity assessment requirement and um, So it goes in the direction of trade facilitation. And I think here we have to stress the objective again is not to get rid of necessary safety controls. We all want safe trade to happen, but to look at how can we achieve the same level of safety with a smaller impact on trade. And here I'm remembering Usman showed the graphs on the cost and as well as the time requirements um, that we were seeing for trade in some of these products. And I think, for example, here is also where you think, where are we on the value chain and what is the risk associated with the product that is being traded? Is it a primary product, which will probably not be consumed as such, but which may be transporting pests? Or are we talking about a more processed product that will be consumed, but that might actually be quite shelf stable and may not require a lot of inspections to ensure its safety? So adapting the level of inspections to the actual level of risk is I think a very good way to target resources where they will have the biggest impact while avoiding unnecessary delays, unnecessary barriers to trade. And then the third area um, one can look at is I think the transparency and predictability of the measures. So you can have a very legitimate measure that is um, trying to achieve An important policy objective, such as health protection, you can have in place control inspection and approval procedures that are targeted, they are really. trying to get at the riskiest products and make sure that those are okay. But if the traders don't have information about them, they might change at any time, there's no predictability, no reliability, then still the cost, just by the uncertainty that such um, measures will cause, the cost will be very high. And I think this might be the easiest place to start. I took a quick look. Um, There are requirements for publication of all the regulations that are enforced, of course, to just allow trading partners to familiarize themselves with them, but also advance notification of any changes. And I think we see a very unequal performance across different African countries. Um, I noted that last year, um, Tanzania was extremely transparent in terms of the number of for example sanitary and phytosanitary measures that were notified while other countries did not notify any changes in regulations or in legislation at all and of course that creates a climate of great uncertainty and i think there are different Mm -hmm. actors that can help at all these different levels there are um for example good regulatory practice guides that can be implemented and i think both um Donors as well as potentially RECs and other regional organizations can play a role in providing assistance and rolling those out, um, attacking the red tape, implementing trade facilitation measures, but also at the transparency, I think there's something that even um with a little bit of political will and a lot of national level coordination, there, this is something that can relatively easily be tackled by individuals even that want to make a difference. I'll stop there. Thank you, Heike. Thank you so much. Um, from,
6: from this view uh, from, from WTO and a bit with your global view, I particularly liked your uh, example from Tanzania and uh, maybe um, uh, Antoine Bouet can pick it up with his thoughts on AF implementation and advice. Um, whether they could not uh, set a kind of positive incentive scheme for those countries who are very transparent and who do their notifications and who adapt their level of um, instructions and and, um, and of regulations to the level of products and uh, as you had suggested. So thank you very much. For these uh, hands on proposals. And uh, probably that is also um, the perfect moment then to hear from a private sector actor um, about his view on um, particular what we've already talked about in uh, the, the chapter four um, stimulant crops. I would like to invite Mr. Joseph LaRose, who's the Director of Development by Toten Company. And um, we would like to hear uh, from you, uh, maybe you also want to have a direct reaction to what Christina Wolf had just suggested, that might also be probably be of interest, I suppose, for the private sector, Um, but uh, in addition to that, um, we would like to hear from you on these findings on cocoa and coffee trade. Um, that is so um, concentrated on unprocessed products, what do you see as the major impediments to increase the sophistication of um, particular cocoa, because you're an, an, an expert in that, how to export more processed cocoa products within African countries, how could that be done and what needs to be done by African governments to support that?
11: Thank you very much, Heike, uh, and uh, very happy to be uh, with the academic work today to discuss this, uh, this new report that uh, gives a lot of insight on the African trade flow. And, and, and for the records, Tuton is a soft commodity trader uh, specialized in cocoa coffee and ingredients, meaning vanilla and all sorts of spices, cloves, cinnamon, ginger, beeswax, and, and, and many others. Our footprint in many is in, in Africa, so that that report is uh, of an extreme in, uh, interest for us. And obviously, chapter four uh, 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 we paid a particular attention to that. I think there there is there is many interesting things that that I that I heard uh, that I heard today. But but maybe on 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 few elements to, to deep dive into the, the the cocoa business and on the coffee uh, uh, trade flow as well on the on the cocoa sites. Um, I think there is definitely barriers to increase the, the, the processed uh, 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 volume of, of cocoa. Uh, uh, but, but mainly, I think there is one fundamental factors that need to be uh, uh, taken into consideration, uh, which is about the, uh, the consumption, right? And when we talk about cocoa and coffee, as a matter of fact, uh, there is no or almost very little consumption of end products by African countries. So you have that big unbalanced between West Africa and Ghana and Côte d'Ivoire that have the lion's share of the cocoa global production, right? Ghana and Côte d'Ivoire respectively produce 800, 850,000 tons and 2.5 million thousand tons of cocoa, which account for 60% of the cocoa global production only for Ghana and Côte d'Ivoire. If you take West Africa, which includes also uh, Cameroon and Nigeria, you account for 75% of the cocoa production, global cocoa production. While actually, and, and, and the, the chapter four, and some figures really uh, capture that, there is almost no import of chocolate either. So neither the, the cocoa is, is is transformed and processed as chocolate in in, in, those, in those producing countries, but no uh, uh, chocolate is imported. So we you have a fundamental distortion between the production of that uh, crop and the consumption of the final product. And I think... That is the key element that explain uh, the 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 the, 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 the uh, value uh, according to the index that was calculated uh, in chapter four for the for country like Ghana and Cote d'Ivoire in, in uh, for cocoa. But but I, I like also maybe to to to, be, to to give a bit more of like on the ground uh, 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 reflection and and also business perspective on it. What we have seen in West Africa over the last five to six years is a significant increase of semi-processed products. And in cocoa, as, as well described into the into the paper, there is a complex manufacturing process to end up into chocolates. What is very interesting to look at is the growth of the semi-processed uh, cocoa in, in Cote d'Ivoire and Ghana. We moved from 400 something tons in 2014 to almost 700,000 tons of cocoa uh, being grinded, uh, semi-processed in Côte d'Ivoire locally and that growth is going to continue because there has been a lot of investment uh, uh, being done by the private sectors and uh, uh, the public uh, authorities as well to grow uh, the, 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 the portion of cocoa that is being processed up to the what we call the liquor, the butter, or the powder level, which is semi-processed products. Um, it's, it's quite interesting to explain the, the factor behind that. Um, you have obviously national incentives and policies that support uh, the investments, right? Whether it's tax discount or discount on the good of the prices uh, of cocoa, uh, you have also an increase in demand, two uh, percent per year that is followed by an increase in production. So in value, the the, the level of cocoa that is being produced has has increased a lot. Back in 2010, when I entered the cocoa industry, Cote d'Ivoire was producing 1.5 million tons, today is 2.5 million tons. So it's quite quite important, but also you have a decline in Asian production, uh, which have switched the Asian industry to buy West African beans, Uh, for some years, and now the Asian industry is relocating their grinding capacity in Côte d'Ivoire and Ghana. And last but not least, you have a regulatory framework where sustainability, where mastering the supply chain, the human rights uh, uh, due diligence, the deforestation regulation upcoming in the EU, I put pressure on the private sectors to invest more into the supply chain. So there is uh, less Indeed, the the, the process of chocolate is not there yet. I think that's mainly because of consumption that is not there yet, but the semi-process has increased and will continue to do so.
6: Thank you so much. Uh, You leave us with some good news here, um, I guess. And that, of course, is nice to hear also particular in the um, comparison with the Asian region. So let's see um, and maybe give uh, everyone else a chance. The question of, which region to trade with, um, we will pick up in a second, and probably you can come in on Asia and, and the cocoa trade there again, because we have someone also being interested in trading with the Caribbean area. But um, let me thank um, um, you, Joseph uh, LaRose, and Christine, Christiane wolf very much for your interventions as discussants. And now I would like to straight use the remaining 15 minutes we have for um, Q and A. And um, we have some great questions already, and I will start with one clarification. Some of these questions have already been answered while we went along. Um, one um, anonymous comment was that um, research should have started with food crops rather than stimulant crops, uh, as Africa is, in, is food insecure. That's um, a very true observation, yet um, uh, the AATM picks every year a different value chain chapter and a different um, regional economic community so this year it was a particular analysis of the stimulant crops as they play a huge role for for african exports out of the continent and it picked on the central region as the regional economic community. In previous years, there have been different chapters. There was already a chapter on the main staples, on grains, on roots and tubers. So um, whoever posts that comment, please have a look at the previous uh, volumes of the AATM in 2021, 2020, 2019, and so on. Okay, um, there is um, a question from Uh, for, for some of the editors, and that was rather of the general question, are some African countries performing better than others in terms of participating in the global value chain? I think Dr. Ojo talked about that, and are there any lessons to be drawn from these experiences of the better performing countries? And may I ask everyone to be very short and sweet so we can have a couple of questions. Dr. Ojo.
7: Please, uh, could, can you repeat your question, please?
6: Okay. Are there any countries performing better than others in um, uh, performing in high pros in, in global value chain integration? And are there any lessons to be learned from these countries?
7: Ah, okay. <clears throat> uh, yes. Uh, Let's let consider uh, West Africa, for example. Someone already said that. Uh, Processing of cocoa is uh, starting and uh, strongly in Cote d'Ivoire and in Ghana and while other countries are, are, are lagging behind. And if you consider some tea uh, crops, the processing is uh, progressing very well in Comesa in, uh, uh, region uh, with uh, Kenya experience. And uh, uh, if you consider some wheat processing, uh, you 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 see that there are good progress in uh, the Arab Union, uh, Arab Maghreb Union. So uh, those experiences exist, and there are good uh, 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 practices that other countries can learn from. Back to you.
6: Okay, thank you very much. Uh, for this clarification. Then there is one question for um, uh, Usman Badjane. Um, you mentioned the importance of trade facilitation efforts um, that particular permitted the EAC, the East African Community, to maintain trade open during the COVID-19 period. Um, what are some of the key trade facilitation measures that other regional economic communities could learn from the EAC, and that should be scaled up.
4: Uh, Thank you, um, Heike. So what you will see in that region is there's a lot that's been done in digitizing uh, the trading infrastructure, allowing countries to um, use uh, digital processes for clearance and for declarations. They have facilitated the border crossing, streamlining the number of documents and the searches that are necessary there and if embrace new policies that facilitate and harmonize with regulation enforcement and the kind of things that you've heard um, Christiane Wolf talking about and there's a lot of it actually in the chapter there of what they have done. Thank you.
6: Thank you so much. Um, yeah, maybe we can just um, continue with a question that um, Uh, was also directed to either Antoine Bouillet or Christiane Wolf. and that was concerning your view on the current status of AFCFTA implementation. What do you see as the most urgent actions for continental institutions to advance its implementation? And um, for Christiane Wolf, also the additional question, You've mentioned several good practices for reducing the negative impact of non-tariff measures on trade. What needs to be done to help countries and regions to implement these good practices as we have the knowledge? Um, who wants to start, Antoine or Christiane? About the AFC, uh, your maybe, view on...
8: Maybe I can start. Uh, well, I think that um, the AS, the, the implementations of the AFCFTA starts um, in in a very difficult period of time uh, for African countries, and and of course, uh, it's because of COVID nineteen. Uh, I mean, the, um, there's still a, a big Im- uh, importance of uh, COVID nineteen in Africa, and and uh, and the, the vaccinations is is very late, and and um, and also, the uh, Ukrainian-Russia uh, war has uh, implied some um, uh, increase in world prices of, of cereals, of vegetable oils, uh, and fertilizer. Uh, and so, um, of course, it's not only related, as it is explained in chapter one of this report, to the, to the war between Ukraine and Russia, but, but uh, the, the, this war has amplified. A, a movement of increase so it means that in terms of food security the situations of the the continent is fragile so i think that the authority have of course a lot of concern uh with uh, all this situation and so um i think the 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 process of implementations of the AFCFTA is a little bit late um i'm not sure today but maybe somebody from uh, wto can uh, respond to me on that i do not know if if she knows uh, the the response to these questions, but I'm not sure that trade under the AFCFTA regime has started, um, uh, which means that um, uh, the problem is to solve many issues at the same time, to start uh, the tariff liberalization under the AFCFTA regime. Um, And of course, um, uh, I think that uh, there are some sensitive products, um, and I think that, unfortunately, um, uh, this uh, sensitive products clause has a substantial impact in terms of uh, reductions of ambition of the of the reform. Um, and uh, uh, concerning the non tariff measure, um, I can give you the floor. But uh, I mean, um, the the, the negotiations are started. Uh, and uh, we will see in the next months if it is really, really very ambitious. Back to you. Okay,
6: thank you. I'm over to you, Christiane.
10: Yes, um, thank you. I, um, I also don't have a crystal ball about the negotiations um, started that are starting on the NTMs. I think. A lot can be done, though, in parallel, um, because, yes, you can always go further, you can always invent new mechanisms, but I think there's already a lot out there that basically needs to be implemented. And so I think, finding the support finding the mechanisms to support that implementation is is a good step where one doesn't really need to wait. So. As I mentioned, there's, for example, for good regulatory practices, the the Standards and Trade Development Facility has developed a very good guide on how to apply that in the SPS area. And I I think one doesn't need to wait both bilateral donors as well as regional organizations. I mean, FAO, WHO were all parts of the development of this guide. And I think it it can basically be taken off the shelf and um, adapted to each um, to each national situation. Um, I think that in terms of transparency, there are a lot of tools out there, whether it's at the WTO, at the ITC, and I think. What one needs is maybe to build the institutional capacity to build the the mechanisms to ensure that it happens, but you you don't need an additional negotiation to make it happen. I think a lot can be done without having to wait for the outcomes.
6: Okay, thank you so a strong pleasure for not uh, staring at the huge peak to climb but to start walking. uh, If I understood you. Correctly, and uh, could you also give us um, a quick one on this question: What needs to be done to help the willing countries and regions implement these good practices? Where can, uh, in case we have anybody listening from from national country governments, who said like, okay, let's do it? Where could they turn to? Where
10: do they find support? Um, Yes, I mean I mentioned the Standards and Trade Development Facility, which is a mechanism that was created yeah. by the WTO and other organizations. There are five partners, including World Bank, World Health or Animal Health Organization, and so on. Um, they, they have been involved in, in, in creating this guide. And it's a place that coordinates the technical assistance. So I think it's not in this area, in the very specific sanitary and phytosanitary area. And a lot of the national donors are represented there as well. So I think it would not be a bad place, if there is an interest, to actually just look up the website, send them an email, and they're usually very helpful in putting people in touch who have similar interests. But I mean, having said that, of course, FAO, there are a lot of the multilateral organizations that are very active in this area, as well as the um, bilateral donors. So I think it would depend a little bit on on each country where they have maybe programs where something like this could be fitted in, or if it's something completely new that would need to be started. In that case, I think I would suggest contacting the the STDF.
6: Great, we, um, I can only support that because um, we've also come to learn the uh, the STDF is super efficient um, and a very, very quick responding body for um, uh, trade matters in agricultural trade. And um, let's move on, uh, we have a few minutes left um, and there is a question to Joseph LaRose and that is what are the key policy intervention that you, as a private sector actor, uh, would like to see to, uh, for stimulant value chains to improve performance and to increase the participation in, I guess, inner African trade. What are Thank the you key interventions you would like? To see? Sorry.
11: Well, um, again, I think the. the, the the promotion of, of local consumption and of local marketing, and, and and in the paper some of the the reason for for, for which Côte d'Ivoire, Ghana, and the cocoa global value chain are positioned, uh, there is historical reason, there is uh, you know financial reason, but I think to build a market uh, for end products. That will definitely help to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to 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 raise the bar and and to help those countries to 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 uh, to uh, industrialize a bit more uh, Ghana for example there is a good example Ghana is promoting chocolates into schools as part of a national uh, policy uh, interventions and and local chocolate maker are uh, uh, contracted to, uh, to actually produce that chocolate for the, for the, 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 the Ghanaian uh, children. So that there is different aspect. I think tariff measures has been has been discussed, but the intra-trade in terms of, of products, you have some Cote d'Ivoire, cocoa or coffee going to Algeria, but that's pretty much it. I think there is also more and more a pressure on the sustainability front, and on the regulatory and I front from for sustainable uh, uh, issues, such as human rights or deforestation. And I think that uh, national policies that help to support the protection of human rights, to help to stop the deforestation, to build that environment that is needed in order for business partners to feel comfortable and to invest in those countries as being compliant, but also as being stable, uh, from an economic perspective, I think uh, uh, Shahir mentioned the, the, uh, uh, the level, the maturity of the institution. I think that's definitely something that is needed. So build the market, uh, creates a business environment that is stable uh, 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 and continue to grow the semi-processed industry because I think that is adding quite a lot of value as well to those countries.
2: Thank you so
6: much, and uh, if you allow me Joseph to also add uh, one comment and listen to your private sector operators, Um, I think uh, that is more than often uh, overlooked to hear from the local industry, um, what their needs are, but at the same time, we also know that in a number of countries, it is also difficult to get an organized voice and view from private sector actors, so probably also Uh, try and and think about how to organize um, the private sector views in a way that it can interact and and, and enter dialogue with government and authorities in in an effective way. Great, we have um, not much time left, but there are questions that were related to, to, to particular regions, for example, the question is it possible to directly trade with the Caribbean islands from Africa? This direct question came from David Clark and it's not directed to any if, does anyone from the panelists feel like answering this um, is it possible to directly trade with the Caribbean islands and um, is it, what what kind of potential would you expect from this trade Does anyone want to answer this
9: I can Thank you, Haike. I can partially address this, I mean, based on the uh, findings of uh, what we did in chapter four, especially when it comes to the three products uh, of uh, stimulants. Um, based on our findings, uh, Latin American countries were not among the countries with whom we are uh, African countries are under trading, uh, perhaps depending on their size, perhaps depending on the transport cost, but definitely. Uh, if we, if African countries uh, are to uh, uh, enter new markets, uh, mm-hmm. I think the fixed cost of entry will be very high, given the fact that uh, African products have to be adapted to the domestic needs uh, of, uh, Lat- of Latin American countries on the one hand and on the other, clearly the transport cost will be uh, substantial. So uh, uh, in terms of potential to be confirmed, because we have to see to what extent uh, this, the, this potential at the extensive level, meaning that it's completely new market um, or not completely, but I mean, relatively speaking to other traditional markets in Europe or in African countries or uh, in OECD countries in general, on the one hand and on the other, to what extent there is a room to compete with uh, other products. And I don't know, perhaps, Uh, antoine or uh, joseph uh, might want to add something related to uh, specific products such as cocoa. thank you
6: thank you so much Shahir. Uh, unfortunately we don't have time to move on with that question but christiana has raised her hand so i'll pass it on to you christiana
10: um i can be very quick i just if you were if somebody was interested in exploring the possibilities and also exploring um the, the regulatory and so on obstacles that there might be, there's a great tool, which is the Global Trade Help Desk, where you can say what you're trying to export from where to where, and you can find a lot of information that way.
6: Thank you so much for this edition. Um, and maybe you want to post um, the website in the uh, chat box. That might be helpful for those interested. And I would like to, unfortunately, I have to close the QA here, and I would like to close it with one very last question, and, and I would like to address it again to Dr. Usman Um, Since we could not hear from uh, Dr. Jacob Kocho, the Director du Marché Commun uh, of the Economic Community of Central African States, I would like to address the last question to you, Usman, and that was Uh, since we have in this year's AATM um, the particular chapter on the economic community of Central African states, what do you see as the main opportunity for expanding intra-regional African agriculture trade for this specific rec for the economic community of Central African states?
4: Uh, uh, Thank you very much, Um, Heiko. I I think that um, uh, what I would su- suggest, rather than listing here uh, a whole set of things uh, to do, is to really uh, recommend uh, that uh, the ECAS uh, uh, Commission uh, reaches out to the EAC Commission and to see what they have done over a very very short period of time uh, to facilitate trade among their members, and how now now have the highest uh, uh, shares of uh, uh, regional trade among the. Um, Directs, but also more importantly, to protect trade during the time of crisis, because of the new innovative and really expansive agenda they have in facilitating trades uh, among their among their members. That is the easiest way, I think, to do that. So, and then touch with the ACA Commission and then learn from their experience. Thank you.
6: Thank you so much for this very uh, pragmatic approach here, Uthman, and I think with those. Uh, Few comments and, and last remarks, we want to close the Q&A session, I would like to thank all panelists and discussions for um, being available to answer the question and I would like to particularly thank the audience for posing interesting and engaged questions. Um, please keep being engaged with the organizers of this webinar um, as this will not be the last of our discussions about African cultural trade and I would like to close it here and hand over back to our master ceremony, Dr. Laji Take, to close our event. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Heike Hopler. Thank you to all our editors and the Scottians for that rich session. We will now uh, move on to the closing remarks. Uh, we are nearing the end of this lunch. I would like to invite Mr. Patterson Brown, is the trade and economic growth team lead at the United States Agency for International Development Bureau for Africa. Mr. Brown, over to you.
12: Thanks so much and uh, thanks for the opportunity to to be a part of the event today Um, and let me start by saying apologies uh, Scott Cameron uh, who uh, is our, our director uh, in Africa, Bureau uh, unfortunately can't be with us today uh, here at the event, so I'm stepping in, um, and hopefully we'll we'll do a, a good job with it. But you know, certainly at the outset, good afternoon and good morning to everyone. Um, it's it's really a pleasure to be here, and um, I'm Patterson Browns, which was just noted, and uh, I lead uh, U.S.H. Trade Team uh, based out of Washington, D.C. in our headquarters. Um, so. I just want to start by saying, um, you know, just to commend the, the, the big effort um, that uh, colleagues have undertaken with this report uh, from IFPRI, Academia, the African Union Commission, GIZ certainly, uh, our research community uh, through AgriDep and Resax of course, uh, and also I, I know there are a lot of others I, I'm missing, so thank you for, for bringing this uh, forward. And also, just for the the broader effort to promote evidence based uh, trade and investment policies, um, and above all, to build research capacity on the continent, which has really come a long way. Um, and for us at USAID, we're we're really very happy and excited to have supported uh, this research from the beginning, um, and we look forward to continuing to partner with everyone moving forward on it. Um, and <clears throat> excuse me, this is. From the USA perspective is certainly uh, a critical effort here with the report and more broadly uh, looking at how the African continental trade agenda uh, through the AFCFTA is developing, uh, the importance of understanding market instability, uh, and the role that trade plays in accelerating recovery and stability, um, and above all, the role that formal and informal trade play as it relates to reducing poverty and hunger on the continent. In terms of the report, um, having read through a draft of this year's report uh, and certainly based on prior years, um, I can say that the, the, the depth and, and quality of the research and analysis is certainly still there. And I think it's been growing um, over the years, certainly mirroring the capacity that's been increasing on the continent as well among our research community. Um, and, and it's still a report that you simply can't find elsewhere in terms of the data, uh, the analysis uh, specific to the region, looking at um, the cross-regional trade and investment that's happening, um, and as it relates to the constraints that are there as well as the opportunities with trade, um, this feeds directly into uh, policy decision making. Um, and certainly, as it relates to my team, <laughs> for for me, uh, when we're looking at our lines of effort and how we can best support the African agenda. Um, the the generation of this evidence analysis is is really important um, as i noted uh in terms of trying to help move the african trade agenda forward with the afcfta and more broadly our continuing work with regional economic communities Uh, for us um, especially when it comes to uh, informing our new programs and design of initiatives um, and activities this work is, is really important. And it, you know, from our perspective, we've been working in this area for a number of decades with a, a lot of you all along the way to improve trade investment performance. Um, and we learned some things uh, along the way, certainly. And so we've developed a program called the Africa Trade and Investment Program, or ATI as we call it. Um, that really brings forward a couple of dynamics that we didn't think we were doing a very good job of prior. And I think for this report and certainly our community, having a a truly continental perspective um, and lens for for engagement and support uh, has been a big step forward. So for us, that means uh, incorporation of North Africa uh, with our work in sub saharan Africa. So now we have a uh, a really uh, seamless um, and integrated a set of efforts across the continent. Um, And we are seeing already that positions us in in a much better way in terms of supporting AFCFTA and uh, supporting um, other uh, trade investment efforts uh, between regions across the continent, making linkages. Um, So it's really um, a a platform for us to leverage resources, expertise of the private sector, uh, and to support the increased uh, trade investment in Africa. one of the goals um, of the program is also to drive economic growth and job creation, uh, in which by extension will promote food security, lower poverty and hunger, uh, and, and really build out the lasting policy frameworks uh, that we see are necessary to promote sustainability. Um, so, we also want to be in a position of being more agile and nimble, and that's certainly something we've built into this new ATI program, is the ability to pivot a bit more quickly uh, in support of partners. And, of course, now looking at the, the market instability uh, that's been there, the uh, price uh, spikes, um, and, and, and really um, a number of really reoccurring uh, crises uh, that are happening on the continent as it relates to food security and nutrition. So. Um, these, are, these are important ways that, that we've uh, sort of grown um, uh, and adjusted our programming based on learning over the years, based on engaging with, with you all and other partners. One other thing I wanted to mention about our programming. Um, earlier this year, uh, the head of, of our agency of USAID's uh, Administrator Samantha Power, uh, pledged that 50% of all of our projects over the next decade will put uh, local and regional partners in the lead to co-create, implement, evaluate uh, USAID programs with the ultimate goal of much stronger locally led development ownership. And so this is a a next step up for us, and we we really see as an important one. Um, And uh, you all are are a big part of that effort um, as we move that forward. Certainly, as I mentioned earlier, AgriDep and research or RESAX and some of our other partners, you know, is a great example um, and something that we really want to deepen. And, and we have uh, support of our administrator um, and, uh, and, and our senior leadership. Um, so, you know, I would just say in closing, we as we move forward, we really need your help in identifying opportunities and challenges to growth uh, to continue to apply the, the rigor um, and analysis. Uh, to the questions uh, around uh, how to promote trade investment and growth, uh, private sector growth, and achieve sustainable, inclusive development. Um, so I'll, I'll end it there. Again, thank you so much for the opportunity to be a part of this um, and want to commend you all once again on the report, um, which I've already started to share with my leadership, but look forward to a broader engagement internally. So thanks so much for the opportunity again.
0: Thank you so much, Mr. Patterson Brown. Thank you for honoring our invitation. So there you have it. We have come to the end of the launch of the 2022 Africa Agriculture Trade Monitor, published by Academia 2063 and the International Food Policy Research Institute it's been a pleasure and honor hosting you today thank you so much for joining academia 2063 and if free please visit the publication pages of academia2063.org and if to access the report. follow us on facebook twitter linkedin and youtube and let us continue this conversation let us continue driving stakeholder engagement for evidence-based and sustainable policy outcomes across the continent. Thank you all, and I'm sure I'll see you very soon at our next event. Until then, take care. Goodbye.